0: Welcome to the Innovation Drivers Podcast, where Canada's top technology leaders discuss ideas, successes, and challenges that are creating a better future. Brought to you by the CIO Association of Canada, in partnership with the Business Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you for joining us on the Innovation Drivers Podcast. I'm Philip Johnston, the President of the CIO Association of Canada. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Eric Gales, country manager from AWS. It was a great conversation because we got to talk about the following cool things that AWS is doing. How have they helped small and medium sized businesses and large enterprises navigate the COVID pandemic. He also talked to me about the secret sauce that Amazon deploys to be able to deliver those great services at a moment's notice. And finally, we talked about security and the financial models that you can use when thinking about whether to go to the cloud. So let's get started now with this conversation.
1: So my name is Eric Gales. I'm the country manager for AWS Canada. I've been in this role now for six years. I was actually employee number one here for AWS Canada. Uh, The business was entirely run from the US before I joined back at the end of 2015. I've been in the IT industry for 30 years. And for the more astute amongst you, you will notice that my accent is from out east, very far out east. I moved to Canada in 2006. I'm a very proud Canadian citizen now and really enjoying uh, living and working here in Canada. I live in Oakville with my family and uh, my office is in downtown Toronto.
0: Thanks, Eric. Thanks for introducing yourself. I'm Phil Johnston, I am the CIO for the National Research Council, but also the President for the CIO Association of Canada, where we we look at growing the profession of CIOs within Canada through technology means, through education means, through mentorship, uh, and getting the voice out there. And I'm very happy to be joined by you, Eric, today uh, to discuss some really important topics uh, around the cloud and, and some of the things that AWS has been doing for the last little while. And hopefully we can get into some really uh, pertinent examples that could help our fellow CIOs in the association uh, leverage for potentially their learning and their improvement in terms of how they run their organization. So why don't we get started with a, a few kind of warm up questions for you, Eric, and tee these up. Uh, this past year, you know, I, I think we're we're hearing a lot about this, but its I don't think it can be over-exaggerated. Uh, many of our businesses, including mine, have, you know, had to look at new technologies to help us thrive or, or even survive during the pandemic. Uh, you know, working from home, other ways, but, you know, as well, our services have had to adapt. Uh, yeah. In terms of your experience, Eric, you know, in your role, what have you seen some of the key things that uh, your business has done to enable these businesses uh, to be successful and to adopt to this pandemic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's obviously been just an incredibly difficult time for for the world, and uh, no one would have contemplated. I'm sure there are, there are very few leaders out there that, that went to the office one day and said, hey, you know what, I think we should try. Nobody can visit a customer and no one can come to the office. Let's see how we do. But, of course, everyone was forced into that position. And I think from a cloud uh, service provider's perspective, it has been really interesting to see how the cloud was able to support a lot of companies during this difficult time. I think what you know what we thought we saw initially was really people adapting to work from home. That was the first big, you know, challenge for every business is to, you know, how do we get people connected? Uh, I think in the first quarter of the pandemic with our AWS Connect service, our call center service, which is sort of an on-demand call center, so we stood up something like 5,000 call centers globally in a very short period just to help companies sort of engage either with their employees or their customers. And so that was an indicator, I think, to many companies as to perhaps what the cloud could do for them in terms of just the flexibility, the rate at which you could stand those things up. Um, we obviously had lots of customers that were already using the cloud when the pandemic started. And what we saw with those customers, for example, is that, there were customers that their demand spiked significantly. Some customers benefited from the, the crisis, quite frankly, of people that are doing you know, uh, e-commerce and food delivery and things like that, we saw some big spikes there. Those companies could leverage the elasticity of the cloud to scale up. And then conversely, there were businesses that were impacted really negatively. And in a traditional infrastructure world, you, you'll know this way better than I, that in this, you, you can't really scale down those assets that you own, that they're running, they're in a data center, you can't scale it down. And so those that were on the cloud, we saw many customers now that would credit their survival to the fact that they could actually scale down their consumption in, in a way that you really can't do with with sort of on-premise resources. And so, you know, I've, I've seen every, every customer that we work with from the smallest startups to the largest enterprises, really looking for how the cloud could help them to adapt to their new reality. And that's really continued. It's been interesting to see, you know, we, we, I would say if anything, this crisis has been a catalyst for more people to look at the cloud and in many cases actually accelerate their adoption because of what they saw in the sort of, you know, early uh, early part of this crisis. You
0: know, the, the great points and, you know, I can really relate to, you know, what we felt like in February, March of two thousand. 20, I guess. Yes, 2020. <laughs> it's been that long. It's, uh, we've been in this pandemic for such a long time now. You know, we, we had numerous services where I worked previously that were built on faxes, that were built on paper, that were built on even myself as a manager having to, to sign things, you know, with, with my executive assistant that she'd create a pile of paperwork that I would have to sign on a, a nightly basis and all that. Uh, and even the services to our, to the Canadians in the department I was at before in terms of, of, of AWS and the cloud uh, like I'm, I'm interested in learning more about some of the key things that you were able to just create as like a software as a service, not like as a CPU or, 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 or storage or what have you, are, are there any key services that you saw an uptick uh, within Amazon Uh that would have helped maybe some of those small to medium businesses uh, in maybe adopting cloud because it was more of a service focus instead of an infrastructure focus. Uh, yeah,
1: there, I think, I'd say two services in particular that we saw a big adoption, particularly in those early days, which was around adapting to the sort of new realities of people working from home. And so one that, that uh, I just mentioned, which is AWS Connect, so AWS Connect is an is an on-demand call center capability. So it's a completely in the cloud service. It was actually born of the service that Amazon built for itself. And so Amazon obviously has a, a very large infrastructure around uh, providing call center services. And so that was productized into a product called AWS Connect. And so in that early going, and since that time, uh, customers that needed to adapt to interact with their employees or their customers in a, in a much more scaled way Really looked at, at leveraging AWS Connect, and then the other component was a product called AWS uh, Workspaces. Amazon Amazon Workspaces is a is a desktop as a service capability. Again, many customers finding themselves in situations where they needed to enable their teams to work from home, and so both of those services we saw massive adoption uh, at the early going, and then interestingly, during this phase, I think uh, you know even our own company. As we, as people were forced to work from home, have been looking at well, what does the future hold? And so many companies now saying, well, perhaps there's a new work style. Uh, there has been a lot of cases, I think, where people have learned that there were some things that were more efficiently done um, when people were working from home, but they didn't have that policy before.
0: Eric, like if you can confirm with me, you know, one of the the things uh, I'm in government. One of the things you know, the government reacted. I think relatively well, I, I, in terms of Canadian, is really putting out those Serb payments and those uh, all those payments that we sent to Canadians because of the pandemic had impacted their their livelihood. Is that, is that accurate, uh, Eric? Yeah, there are, there are a number of cases of, you know, obviously the government was in a,
1: in, a set, in a set of circumstances where then they again also had a sort of a huge volume of increases of capabilities that they needed to fulfill to, to many uh, businesses as well as individuals. And so we had a number of those implementations across across Canada, including at the provincial level here in Ontario. Uh, and it, it was interesting because it was one of it was one of those opportunities where driving change in any organisation is hard, and sometimes you need a catalyst. And you know, traditionally in business, that's that's to do with the competition. The competition does something, or you find yourself losing, or you perhaps you hire some people that really you know bring some new capabilities, or you make an acquisition. This pandemic has been a forcing function to drive a lot of change in ways that people perhaps wouldn't have considered or would have been more difficult. But as a forcing function, it, it, it enabled many uh, customers and, and for us to sort of illuminate just what was possible with the cloud because people hadn't seen it before. And so this idea that you could stand up a call center and you know in a day was just something that was unheard of. And so that has, I think, it's been really interesting to see the catalytic effect of that with many customers, which had finally, what else could we do? And I think the point you were making about facts is that there are some sort of modus operandi that they had just existed, but you were forced to change that. And then there's this realization that, well, this can be the go forward strategy or there are many other cases where you could apply this kind of uh, service to.
0: Excellent, Eric. So moving on, uh, you know, we're, I mean, we're, we're slowly moving out of the, the pandemic and, you know, there's obviously been, you, you talked about new thoughts, new ideas that even your organization is thinking about. How can you help support kind of those new cloud services uh, for the return to normal? Uh, sure. And how can you help kind of senior MIT business leaders who need to move forward with now, you know, kind of like pausing after the pandemic and now c- going back to kind of like some strategic thought about where we need to go, what do what are the top issues we need to address? In terms of your organization, uh, what do you think could help them thrive kind of in the new normal moving forward? I think
1: one of the things that this crisis has sort of compelled people to do is to, is to really think about how adaptable their organization is to, to things that they they can't control and yeah, I, I have the good fortune to meet with many senior leaders in many sizes of organizations and my conversation with CEOs sort of generally starts with the same theme which is it's something that jeff bezos said but i don't think he invented it which is this this idea that the only sustainable competitive advantage is innovation and we hear a lot of talk about innovation. And if you sort of look back in history at companies that you knew that were at top of their game and that then somehow disappeared and, and you sort of trace, what was it that, that caused them to fail? Um, and you can generally trace it back to a lack of innovation because somebody out-innovated them on their supply chain. Some out-innovated them on how they serve their customers. Some out-innovated them on what their product could do. But Of course, every business typically has that opportunity to do it themselves. And so this idea of innovation is something that we we talk a lot more about now as an organization. And, And in that, the cloud is an incredible set of capabilities that you didn't have in the past. So in the past, particularly from an IT perspective, I think we can all agree that, you know, IT's had a contribution to every business, an increasing contribution over time. But in the past, the way that that manifested itself was you had to build a business case, buy the gear, deploy the gear, see if you got value out of it. Now, and the choices you made would limit other choices because you couldn't buy everything, you had to choose. With the the cloud, the cloud changes that profoundly because the cloud itself is organic. Every day, the AWS services get better. The features get better every day based on the feedback from customers. The number of services that are available increases every year. And so you have this organic capability which is available to everybody. And so it's a matter of how you how you use it, how how, how do you apply it to your business. And it's it's a very sort of democratizing set of capabilities. It's available to the smallest company and the largest company. It's not a different set of services for the largest organizations, it's also available to the smallest. And so part of what's important here, just like sort of any set of tools, is if you if you don't know how to use the tools. You will never get value out of them, and so one you know, part of my job, my team's job, is to help organizations understand what these tools are, why they apply to everybody, and then help them to navigate their way to to those services or people that can help them with those services, and appreciate just how profoundly different these 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 um, some of these services are. Uh, I was talking recently to um, one of our team about a, a customer in London uh, called, called Vidhug. And the, they do, uh, they create video montages for special events. That was their business, it was a startup. At the start of the pandemic, they ran on AWS. At the start of the pandemic, they had 300 users engaged. And within about a month, they had 130,000 people a day using <laughs> that service because of course the need was there, the opportunity was there, but they could scale up that service to, to fulfill that demand. You know, who can do that on-prem? If that ran on a server on-prem, you just couldn't do it. And so it's those kind of things that really sort of change the art of the possible. Um, there's a great company in um, in Ottawa called Blindside Networks that does. Uh, they do uh, uh, an education system that uh, called the Big Blue Button that provides uh, a online learning to universities and millions of people around the world. Again. When this crisis came along, it was just an incredible opportunity for them to scale up their capabilities to to new destinations, to new countries, to new endpoints in ways that you really wouldn't have been able to contemplate before without having to deploy any infrastructure to those other parts of the world because, of course, the infrastructure is already there. So there are are some real uh, dimensions to this cloud platform which are profoundly different to the old paradigm, and when you appreciate them, you can start thinking differently about what your business could do or what you could do in government to service uh, um, citizens. And that's something I'd say we, are, we and other, you know, of our contemporaries in the market, part of our job is to help businesses and decision makers to really appreciate the art of the possible here and be compelled to learn more. Because if you, if you really don't understand these capabilities or the potential that they have, you'll never realize that for your own organization.
0: Thank you so much, Eric. That's going to lead to probably two follow on questions. Uh, One that, you know, you really triggered when you were talking about that example of that media company being able to scale up. So, yes, of course, they would have had a hard time, you know, within, within their own data center to do this. And I'm not sure if this is Amazon's secret sauce. And if you can tell our our senior IMIT business leaders about this, because myself, I used to run data centers and I used to run IT. uh, You know, right now I don't because we're going to the cloud and we have a shared service provider. But how does Amazon manage that potential increase, right? Even though that company didn't have to do it, Amazon had to have it ready, or Amazon had to know how to do it quickly, or they had to be able to scale it up themselves. So is that a secret sauce? Or are you guys really good at planning and you know what your demand is going to be? And so you're just continually building to to meet that demand? I think for, for a lot of our CIOs here, that discussion about how Amazon actually does it it would be really a, an interesting you know thought provoking i think answer at least for us i think yeah. I, i'd like to understand how you guys do that
1: yeah it's, i'd say it's a combination of a few factors so the first thing is of course that you know being a huge aggregator of demand every customer around the world is not on the same cycle and so some companies have peak times at, you know, during the retail season or the holiday season. Some, pe- some customers have peak times in the tax season. Some people have peaks at the, at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day. And so those peaks, if you are having to manage that infrastructure yourself, of course, you have to solve for those peaks for your individual business. But when you aggregate all of that demand, of course, those peaks and valleys, we're aggregating all. So you have this sort of smoothing effect. You just get just from able to utilize your assets much better, sort of part one. Part two is, yes, we use a huge amount of machine learning to look at what the behavior is of consumption because we have many different services and many different resources. And so at the end of the day, we're running huge infrastructures, obviously with millions of servers. And so they have to be purchased and acquired and deployed and retired and upgraded. And so there's a lot of machine learning that goes on in order for us to sort of efficiently manage that that process. And then with particular customers, Where customers start to use uh, particular services, we do actually have signaling mechanisms as well for customers to sort of forecast to us and say, hey, I'm deploying this service. You're going to see some massive spikes on this particular uh, set of capabilities. And so we can also get ahead of that for them. And so it's a combination of, of those things, but we play really close attention to trying to make sure that we always have capacity available for customers. And we co-opt them in to help us with that signaling mechanism as well, so we can we can always try and achieve that. But um, the other, the sort of benefit you get by aggregating all of this demand and be able to smooth that is the net effect in terms of your resource consumption. So the sustainability, the absolute energy quotient that you need to use in order to fulfil all this computing demand, you get a lot of efficiencies there. And so there there is a whole another dimension of the effectiveness of these aggregated services in helping customers to um, use less energy, frankly, to fulfill all of these customers, as opposed to every single customer is running data centers, which are running if inefficiently with cooling and, and servers that aren't actually doing anything. And so there's another side benefit, which is increasingly important to many customers.
0: Oh, thank you very much, Eric. Uh, and I really appreciate that answer. And, and I, I bet you it's not an easy task you know, with the AI and the prediction models and what you need to do to make sure that you you're not never telling a customer, sorry, we don't have space to, (laughs) to help you grow or or make your business successful. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that from the, uh, the Amazon team that I'm working with. So, so happy to hear that they, you know, a little bit of that secret sauce that you're, you're doing at Amazon there. The second piece, I think for me is, uh, you know, You know, CIOs and senior MIT business leaders. I I think you mentioned already have had to to think about capital expenditures and operational expenditures, and you know how does that move into your budgets? Uh, How does that uh, you know how do you how do you deal with that from a business perspective? Because you know how we're used to funding you know growth is like you said. I'm going to buy you know. 20 servers, I'm going to buy the networking equipment to make that happen. I'm going to implement it, that's going to be a project, it's going to cost a million dollars, and then it's going to be done. And then, you know, I pay the 10 or the, the 15%, you know, uh, warranty fee on that, on that infrastructure. That being said, uh, so there is an, an operational cost to doing it that way. But now going to the cloud, you know, I, I spin up servers, I have a model, I you know, I spin up even maybe software as a service. Uh, what have you seen in terms of some of the businesses in terms of adapting to the new financial model uh, that, that uh, cloud brings? And, and then in terms of business cases, potentially as well, like is, is that where there's opportunities, uh, etc.? So maybe you can speak to some of the things you've been seeing uh, that businesses have been doing to adapt to the new cloud financial model, Uh, that that could be helpful for some of our listeners uh, here today?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Philippe. I'm glad you brought it up because because that is one that, yes, we sometimes encounter, which is that it is a different operating model. And it's one of the benefits of the cloud is that it's a consumption-based model, particularly with AWS. We have a real focus on making sure that, customers are only using what they need we want you to get you want every customer to get value from every dollar that they spend and that's one of the features of the cloud is that you can scale up and you scale down and that's across all of the services that we that we offer but the way that manifests itself for companies is it it becomes an opex expense as opposed to a capital expense and so companies have to make that change and i put that in the category of innovation so if we agree that the future of every business is more and more predicated on their ability to use and take advantage of these IT capabilities, these services that are available from the cloud, then part of the way that they need to innovate is they need to look at their operating model to accommodate the fact that it moves to an OPEX type basis. And so there's a continuum there, you know, for some customers, it's, it's a complete no brainer. That's the way they operate already. So they, they, they can translate that directly. And then in other cases, where companies have had this focus on on a capex-type model, uh, on an EBITDA-type model, then there is some work to kind of translate their business. But that's why we often end up with with those kind of customers uh, talking to the CFO, talking to the CEO about, about that transition. And there are plenty of organizations around the world who've made that transformation to adapt their businesses to be able to take advantage because they see that the potential of being able to use these services is very important, and to limit that because we have a capex culture is a is a very short term perspective. Um, and then so you know we we have we have teams on staff that help customers sort of think through what that transition might look like. Um, but it's definitely an important question to solve, and it's a real one. You know there there are real examples of customers. And, and the other part of it is that I also you know help sort of want to be transparent with customers is that you often have capital assets already, which you are already depreciating. And so transitioning from that model to an opex model or transitioning your services to the cloud, in order for you to get to a to a better end state, there are some things that will need to be jettisoned over time. And sometimes there's a timing component of that. it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all you know every business is unique their particular circumstances are unique there are some common themes of course but it's important that every business makes the right decision for them and there are dimensions of that that need to be considered including capital assets where they are in their deficient life deputation life cycle and again we, we offer support to help customers find places to in some cases sell those assets. Sell their data center, accelerate oh, okay. their data center. There are other capabilities that can that can help customers to think through that that process.
0: I didn't know that last part, uh, but that that's very interesting. I I uh, so I wrote a paper about how CIOs need to thrive in the fourth industrial revolution, and you know we've heard the terms going to product management, going agile. Uh, they play really nicely into the cloud model. Uh, but what, what ends up having to happen is uh, people who used to have budget and power, I guess, I mean, you kind of equate budget to power sometimes, you know, they need to be able to let go of that, of that theory because it's now more about delivering a service for your, so your organization is there to deliver a service, a product, uh, you know, whatever it is that they need to do. And, and so, we, you know, at least even in the government where I have been, we've sort of started to move down that line where that line of business is holistically being run and the cloud costs are embedded in there, just like any other costs, you know, marketing right. costs, uh, uh, you know, new, you know, uh, you know, client acquisition costs, whatever, like and that product then evolves, but the budget for managing that is not necessarily in the CIO budget anymore. Like it, it's part of a product line. And, and I think that's what, you know, the, the shift probably is probably going to happen more and more so in that that whole product line is just all those costs are embedded. And then obviously, hopefully a revenue or a, a, a return on investment or a business, you know, for Canada, it's like impact to Canadians, like is measured uh, with respect to that business. So right. I, I really appreciate that. And and as a senior MIT business leader, I'm, I think I'm needing to change how I look at right. finances and power that comes with finances. It's more about, you know, what does the business need and how do we attribute the right costs to the right area?
1: That's and, uh, that's what makes it so exciting. You know, to, to me, I, I've been in the IT industry for 30 years. And so I've seen these sort of different cycles from the PC era and the PC server and the internet and mobile computing and, and now the cloud. Um, and it's a I think it's a really exciting time for IT practitioners if you really think about the potential to have an impact on these outcomes. And then the, the transparency that you can have of what does it cost to deliver that outcome? And then the availability of the tools. So I've got this sort of analogy that you know, some of my team like, which is I'm, I'm a DIY guy. I like to, you know, I like to, to do my own DIY. Um, but, you know, in the past, I would probably decide what job I would take on by based on what tools I had because, you know, I've, I've got a bandsaw, I've got a circular saw, right? There. So I have those tools available to me. But imagine that in this sort of New World, imagine my shed is now, you pick your favorite DIY store, but there's no limit to the tools that are available to me. So I can, because of that, I can consider any job. And so in your role now, every tool that's available to any organization, it's available in your tool shed in this AWS cloud environment, and you can reach in and use it and only pay while you're using it. So, you reach in, you can use that tool. But that conversation you can have with your business leaders because you're not limited by the capabilities. Whereas, what I saw, I've seen in the past is of course, you would be limited by what capabilities you had on prem, what resources you had on prem, what you could afford to deploy. Now that really changes. And so, you're no longer limited by the capabilities of the platform. What you're actually more limited about is your ability to use them. And so, acquiring the skills to deploy those, but it changes profoundly the conversation that you can have with businesses. And what, what I've seen in many cases is that people in roles such as yourself could go back to the business um, to go and take on challenges that they, they knew were there, but they couldn't take them on before because they were too expensive, too risky, the capex was too high. They could go back to business and say, hey, you know that issue you had? I think we can have a go at this again, leveraging these cloud capabilities and be much more transparent about what it was going to cost. And so I, I think it's a really fun time. But I do see a difference in terms of people like you, Philippe, who sort of lean in and really see that potential and want to sort of realize it. And then others who still, you know, they, they like the way it was. And th- that takes a bit more work to, uh, to help those folks see the potential here.
0: You know, it's so true. Uh, at, you know, I'll just say at the NRC, I was uh, reviewing our project portfolio and <laughs> our intake. We were able to do 30 or 40 projects, let's say in any given time. We have 50 on hold and 90, we haven't even had an ability to look at. <laughs> so, so there's more demand than there is uh, opportunity for us to deliver with the limited resources we have. So a lot of the things you just mentioned, I hope uh, at least at the NRC, we can create those services. And, and then in our role, you know, at least as senior MIT business leaders, just figure out how to do those connections. How to, how to connect these services to create a product that the business, another business unit, which is a lot less expensive and time consuming than trying to, as you said, create this brand new infrastructure. So uh, I'm looking forward to that challenge at the NRC. I'm not sure, uh, I'm just in the beginning stages there, uh, but I think the team understands it and, and I'm really excited of what the opportunities the cloud can provide us in that fashion I just kind of described. Right. I do have kind of like one last final really important question. And, uh, and I wouldn't, I, I'd be, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be a good leader if I didn't think about asking this question with AWS. And that is, uh, you know, uh, obviously, with the pandemic, everything's gone digital. We've gone, we've moved forward with, you know, trying to deliver services quickly, uh, at an incredible pace, and we'll probably continue to move in that direction. That means that we're increasing our footprint for cyber hack, cyber hacks or cyber attackers or, or somebody coming in and screwing up with our, our, our objectives and our business needs. Um, so so my my question with, with you guys is, you know, in terms of, you know, security, cybersecurity, AWS, the tools, the, the pieces you're moving forward with, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the fact you're an aggregator of a lot of things. So you probably have you know, really good experts in, in your organization that are continually kind of thinking about this problem. So what, what is Amazon in terms of the cloud doing internally? And what are you seeing in terms of the, the key things that, you know, senior, senior MIT business leaders across Canada should be thinking about uh, in addition to, to kind of maybe leveraging cloud services?
1: Yeah, great question. Great I'd start with by saying, you know, as I'm sure you would appreciate, security is job one. At AWS, you know, it really is. There's an enormous amount of, of time and energy that's focused on the security of the platform itself. But as we continue to digitize every app, every um, service, every customer interaction, then that security. Paradigm is a shared responsibility. There is so much that AWS can do, but just like, you know, just like your home, you, you can leave the doors open on your home. You can have all the security equipment you like on your home. If you if you don't turn it on, then your house can be exposed. And so that expectation that we work together with our customers to secure their environments is is really important. And so having security, top of mind, for every um, IT executive and every organization is important. There are lots of tools available within the platform itself that that our customers can use to enhance the security of their applications and the way that they operate. It's not just the tooling, though. It's the operating model. So from an AWS perspective, you can imagine there's a a huge segregation of duties within the organization itself. And so some of those uh, paradigms are really important at the end customer level as well. And then really making sure that you have the appropriate protocols in place and thinking through scenario planning. Um, Right now, we're spending a lot of time talking to our customers about ransomware and how to protect themselves from ransomware because the cloud can provide some incredible capabilities to help customers provide protection from that and also recover in the event that they do endure one of those attacks. And that can be applied to people who have an on-premise environment. So complementing an on-premise environment with the cloud can provide another layer of protection for scenarios like that. But security is very important. It's a shared responsibility. Yes, there is an enormous amount of focus at AWS in terms of the environment itself, but we provide a lot of support and tools as do other third parties solutions that also run on AWS. And so there are also many third parties that we work closely with so that we can bring the best of this area to our customers to to secure their environments. And those environments, they vary depending on the nature of them, B2B, B2C, um, hybrid environments across on-prem and the cloud. And so, lots of resources available from AWS and from speciality providers and partners to help our customers here. But for sure, I'd say just like it is for us, it should be top of mind for every for every organization.
0: Thank you, Eric. I, I'm just going to kind of echo one of the things that is, uh, you know, very important uh, at least to an organization like the NRC. We produce. Uh, terabytes of data <laughs> on a daily basis with all the research that's happening uh, in the organization, and the number one thing that you know we're planning to do is to figure out how we can do some offsite uh, data storage uh, that is going to enable us should we ever be in the unfortunate predicament that that somebody decides to encrypt our data our research data. I mean, if you do that, then researchers are left, you know, they have nothing else to do. They have to either restart their experiments or restart, you know, whatever they were doing. Uh, so the idea is just to make sure that we have the ability to, to prevent ourselves from being totally hacked through ransomware in some of our data. So we're looking at that, and I, I'm sure that's something of interest uh, yeah, to many of the senior INIT
1: people. great users. example of, a, of an area where um, using the cloud, you can you can create an environment that uh, can give you a lot of protection in those scenarios. That's much more difficult to render on-prem.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. So, uh, wow, what a great conversation! Uh, this has been wonderful, uh, and I want to thank Eric for 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 giving up his precious time to talk to us about you know the really meaty issues that are facing senior I.M.I.T. business leaders today with respect to the cloud. Uh, from cost to security to flexibility to opportunities to uh, all sorts of different business models that we could probably move forward with with the cloud so thank you so much eric i wish you the best in uh, your your move forward uh at aws and continuing to support canadian businesses in solving their business problems
1: thanks Philly. it's been great talking to you
0: bye-bye that's it Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovation Drivers Podcast with today's guest, Eric Gales from Amazon. It was so great to talk to him about the key things that one senior I.M.I.T. business leader needs to put in place in order to move their effective business to the cloud. We talked about the cost models, the security, the flexibility, the secret sauce that Amazon has in terms of being able to help us drive our business to success. I'm looking forward to learning more about these subjects and further. Thank you very much for listening. To learn more, go to ciocan.ca. Best of luck to all of us in the pursuit of driving our business to success.